and uh, gotten uh, a good grade on them. But he said, no, you have to do something more. You have to collect a whole bunch of them and, and turn them in for an assignment and prove that you have seen them. And I told him in probably not the most diplomatic of ways, I won't be doing that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. At that time, there were some tough things going on in my own family, and I was working, and my mom was going through a hard time, and uh, there was a divorce situation taking place, and uh, it just seemed like a waste of time to me. And I've always kind of been one of those people who, um, and I'm not saying that I encourage this, I'm just saying that uh, I recognize it as a trait that uh, I've lived with my entire life that doing things that just didn't make sense were something that I always at least questioned. And more than questioned, I, uh, I took the consequences. I think that probably the most famous line out of William Shakespeare is a line that uh, is most quoted because it is um, that which tells us an enormous truth, to be or not to be. That is the question. And it's a very powerful and important question to ask yourself. Am I going to be? Am I not going to be? But the lines that followed it were even more significant. Whether it is nobler in the minds of men to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and thus by opposing end them. And so you have to always ask yourself that question. I think I was doing that. I didn't quote Shakespeare in those days. But I knew that um, doing things that didn't seem right or didn't make sense or were just being done because everybody else did them didn't fit in. And when I told my biology teacher that I wouldn't be doing that, he sent me to the principal's office. And I sat in the principal's office on this bench that had been worn smooth by generations of people just like myself, <laughs> waiting to see the principal. And I waited and I waited a Monday and then a Tuesday and a Wednesday and finally on Thursday morning I was escorted into the principal's office. And he informed me that everybody had to do the leaf collection and I was no better than anybody else. And if I didn't do it, I would be taking biology over again in the summer. But in those three days that I waited for the principal to make his decision about what my consequences were going to be, they left books for us to read hoping somehow that uh, perhaps even if we didn't read it just by osmosis, you know, just by sitting next to it, perhaps some of this wisdom would come to us. And one of the books that they left there for us to read was written by a man who, uh, who came into this church and uh, who lived right here in this town. His name was Henry David Thoreau. And it was called Walden Pond. And I read through Walden, and it was all about nature, and it was all about uh, sort of having a great reverence for, uh, for all that is natural. But at the back of that particular edition, there was an essay that he had written. And the essay was called, On the Necessity of Civil Disobedience. And I'd like to recommend to any of you who are running schools, if you have children that you are trying to get to conform and to fit in and to be just like everybody else, don't have them read Thoreau. <laughs> and don't tell them to read uh, Emerson's essay on self-reliance, which also happened to be at the back of this particular uh, edition. And in that particular essay, he was talking about the importance of taking a stand against things that you thought were foolish. 
and about not just fitting in and not just being what everybody else tells you you should be. And by the time Thursday got in there and I went into the principal's office, I felt like I was a, an American philosopher. <laughs> I felt like I was someone that should be in there being recognized and had books written about rather than uh, someone being told to write a leaf collection. And I had a girlfriend at that time. Uh, her name was Mary Jo, and Mary Jo was one of those people that we called curve breaker, you know. She didn't just do a leaf collection. She would have it indexed, you know. <laughs> And she would have it color-coded, and she would uh, send to Australia for uh, eucalyptus leaves. I mean, she, and she offered to even do it for me, and I said, no, it's a matter of principle. I said, it just doesn't make sense to make people do things just for the reason of fitting in and being just like everybody else. And that was my introduction to transcendentalism. And Thoreau became someone that uh, I had great admiration for. And Emerson, who was considered to be America's teacher, I had incredible respect for. Thoreau had a wonderful definition of success in that essay. He said, if you advance confidently in the direction of your own dreams and endeavor to live the life which you have imagined, you will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. And it's always been my very favorite definition of success. Advancing confidently, making the decisions that make sense to you, being independent of the good opinion of everyone else out there, trusting in here that this is why I'm here and there's music playing inside of me and I must let that music come out. And too many of us don't. When I say a spiritual solution to every problem, I'd like everybody in the audience to just do me a favor, if you will. I'd like you to just point to yourself. Everybody, just for one second, just point to yourself. And just look around and just notice how people are. And notice that nobody's doing this. <laughs> Not one person in the room is doing this. Why is that? Because who we are is not here. Who we are is what? Here. And where have you all pointed to? You pointed to your heart. Shakespeare again put it this way. He said, go to thy bosom, knock there, and ask your heart, what it doth know. What it doth know. Listening to your heart is what, to me, represents the approach to a spiritual solution to every problem. There's three words in that uh, title, in the title of this program. Spiritual, solution, and problem. I'd like to just take a brief look at each one of them and what they mean to me. I'd like to take the word problem first. You know, I've been studying something for several years, and the thing that I've been studying is called A Course in Miracles. And um, A Course in Miracles is a very interesting uh, collection of brilliant writing that I think if the world were living by it, um, perhaps we would have far, far fewer of the conflicts and struggles and so on that we have uh, amongst ourselves and amongst nations and in our families and so on. Um, and one of the lines that I came across in studying A Course in Miracles hit me very, very strongly. And this line, I couldn't get it out of my head. And here's what it said in there. It said, you do not have any problems. You only think you do. You do not have any problems. You only think you do. Our problems are things that we carry around inside of us. And if we could recognize that 
these things that we call problems, no matter what they are, and I'm not here standing up here talking to you on television telling you that uh, you know, the financial concerns that you face every day, the struggles that you face in your relationships, the, uh, the whether or not you're going to be able to handle the, the health concerns and challenges that are facing you, uh, all of these things that have come into our lives that we have labeled problems, but I'd like you to just remind yourself of where they are. They're not out there. They're in here. And they all represent something that I call energy. And one of my very favorite people in all the world, because he was not only a great scientist and a great thinker, but he was a great humanitarian as well. He would have really done well here in Concord. His name was Albert Einstein. And Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Nothing happens until something moves. Everything is movement. Things look solid to us. You know, this watch on my, on my arm looks solid. But if I were to take a, micro, a, a microscope and turn up the magnification and look at this thing under a very, very strong microscope, you would see that it's really a dance. It's alive. It has molecules. Inside those molecules, there are all kinds of tiny little atoms. Inside those atoms are electrons and neutrons and protons and croutons and whatever it is, all of these things that we memorized when we were in uh, physical science classes and so on. And then we have a new thing called quantum physics and we look inside of these electrons and we find subatomic particles and sub-subatomic particles. And what we've discovered through all of this is that everything is just energy. And you're watching a television set right now. And that television set has something coming into your home called energy.